0: A very special person in our midst. I was telling my wife that he's one of the finest teachers we have around. One of the finest teachers. Hallelujah. Reverend Andy Yawson is a pastor responsible for KICC churches in Ghana. He speaks on Winning Ways Express, a radio broadcast program On a number of radio stations. I mean, for those of you who listen to Sunny a lot, every morning you have this wonderful man of God speak to us. Hallelujah. He's also co host of the annual KICC Singles and Marriage Summit. Church, I believe that is a good time to be standing up. Let's be upstanding. And I believe with a clap offering, let's welcome to the podium, the senior pastor at KICC Dominion Center, Reverend Andy Yossin. Oh, do it better unto the Lord. Do it better unto the Lord. Welcome, sir.
1: Amen. Shall we please pray whilst we are standing? Father, we thank you so much. We bless you we thank you for bringing us together today. And Lord, we ask, O God, that your perfect will will be accomplished concerning this meeting in the name of Jesus. We say, have your way, O Father. Minister to each and every one of us, Lord. That at the end of it, the glory will go to you and you alone. We bless you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to take this opportunity to say a big thank you to my host, Pastor Thelford, and his wife for this wonderful opportunity. This is my very first time here. And um, I must confess, just driving into the premises was a blessing on his own. This looks good this looks this looks good good thank god we thank god for this you know as i drove in I, I like to pick on things you could see the signs of excellence right from the start and that's a blessing that's a blessing that's a blessing and i want to thank all of you for coming as well um by God's grace, I've had the opportunity of speaking to a number of people on this subject of marriage, you know, in various places. And one of the challenges that you normally get is trying to get married people out of their house on Saturday morning. Well done. This is impressive. <laughs> well done. It's, um it's always a big challenge. It's always a big challenge. People will always tell you they have X, Y, Z. You know, they have 15 reasons why they cannot make it on Saturday morning. But when they have a problem, they can make it at Saturday 1 AM. <laughs> um, this morning, I'm here to share a few things with you, but I want you to please just bear with me for a second. Normally, when I share on the subject of marriage, I like to have some ground rules. And there are only three ground rules. The first ground rule is relax. That's the first ground rule. Relax. This is not Sunday morning. Don't be too uptight. And the second ground rule is relax. Relax. We are not here to kill anybody, we are here to learn together. We are here to learn together. And guess what the third ground rule is? Relax. And have some fun as we spend time in fellowship. That's what this is about. Okay? That's what it's about. Um, Like I said, it's not Sunday morning. Um, That's why I'm not here in my suit and tie. It's time for us to learn together, to share a few things together. As you know, and I don't need to tell you, I think I can make a safe assumption that almost everybody here is married the safe assumption, okay? Because we are going to be talking about the subject of marriage and I'm, I'm told the general theme is marriage made whole. It's a general theme, marriage made whole. So, we are going to share a few things and then after that, I'm told that um, we are going to have a, a Q&A, a question and answer session, which I'm very much looking forward to. I'll please encourage you, I know you've already been given some information about that. But as I share a few things with you, if questions come to your mind, make sure that it is written down. As much as possible, when it comes to the questions, I want to encourage you, keep it anonymous. Don't mention your name and don't mention anyone else's name. So that when you ask the question, you can ask it in a realistic fashion. Please don't over-spiritualize your questions. Don't sugarcoat your questions. Sometimes when you do that, it makes it difficult to really speak to it. Imagine you go to see your doctor and your doctor says, oh, how are you doing? You say, am oh, I'm, I'm very fine, but I'm perfect. And the doctor starts to wonder, so why are you here? Oh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm feeling well. Or maybe just a little, I just have a, just a tiny headache. If you are not careful, the doctor might misdiagnose what's going on. If you don't describe it. So, please, when it comes to the questions, let's go straight to the point. Some of it may be sensitive. But that's why we're here. I'm trusting God that God will give me the wisdom and as we share together, that we'll be able to speak into your life so that at the end of it all, your marriage will be a blessing. And the reason why i get passionate when i talk about the subject of marriage is that when we talk about marriage being a blessing it's multi-generational your marriage becomes a blessing not just for you when your marriage becomes a blessing the blessing moves on to that of your children and generations to come in the same way that certain bad experiences that people have seen in their parents' marriage has affected them. In that same way, when your marriage becomes a blessing, your children will inherit a blessing. And that is my prayer for you, and that's a prayer for myself. That truly, your children will rise and call you blessed. That when the time comes for them to also go into the covenant of marriage, there are certain things they will not consider as the norm for marriage before I share one or two things with you, I just, I want to just want to speak freely with you on one or two things. You know, it's important. We happen to be in a time where in the past like week or week and a half, we've been reading horrific stories of physical abuse that have left to deaths of people. May that never happen in this house. But you see, it's not just about us declaring it and us just praying and then we leave it i strongly believe that the time has come for us to live out our faith so that it's not just about you and i becoming a member of xyz church but for us to live an exemplary life so that truly If your children have never ever seen you lay hand on your spouse, it will become a strange thing for them. It will not even occur to them as an option. And that's one of the biggest issues we sometimes don't talk about. Even in the house of God. I know I'm jumping ahead of myself but I feel very passionate about it. We should not be hiding these things. And come and sit in church and smile nicely nice makeup to cover up the bruises and we say oh praise the lord we are all blessing the lord no that kind of thing should not be our portion just as paul talks about fornication not being something that should be mentioned among the saints may domestic violence never be mentioned amongst us it is not a testimony and we should not explain it away. By now, you may know my position on that matter. I don't believe in hiding things like that because it's dangerous. We should not be burying anybody as a result of domestic violence. In the name of, oh, let's keep the respectability of the family. No. As children of God, there is absolutely no justification, emphasis on no justification for one person to lay their hand on another. As we are now, of course, they will not for, will not happen, God forbid. But as we are now, if I come to you and punch you in the face, you take me to the police station. It's an assault. If I marry you and punch you in the face, we say it's a domestic issue. Really? Really? The marriage covenant does not suspend the laws of the land. And the marriage covenant does not suspend your relationship with God. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. You and I are first Christians before we become spouses. And we should never use marriage as an excuse to disobey God. Amen. We should not. We should not. Because sometimes that's what we do. We say, oh, pastor, this one is about my marriage. You know, it's, it's a matter of what happens in my home. You are still before God. Whatever you do, you are accountable to your maker. And we have to make sure that the Christian life that we live in church, we take that Christian life home. We live it wherever we are. Amen? We live it wherever we are. One of the things I believe with marriage is this. I think that you see what normally happens, especially in a typical church setting, is that when people are single, they come to church on Sunday. You come to church. On the day you get married, the church goes home with you. And from that day, the church is in your house. When you are single, it's easy to package yourself and come to church. Be on your best behavior whilst you are within the four walls. On the day you get married, the church follows you home. Now the church is at home. It's no longer what you do on Sunday morning. So we should move away from this idea of focusing on just how good we look in the eyes of people when we come to church our focus should be on having a genuine marriage that is a blessing when your marriage becomes a blessing genuinely you don't bother yourself about what others think because you have nothing to hide but if the marriage is not what it's supposed to be you spend all your efforts trying to impress people And that's the mistake we sometimes make we are more bothered about what the next door neighbor thinks about our marriage than what we ourselves think who are we trying to deceive no let's go the easier route let it be genuine let it be a blessing then when it becomes a blessing you don't need to look out for your next door neighbor in fact your next door neighbor will look out for you because they will see something unique about your home and they will say, mm, I want what that guy has got." And that will be an opportunity for you and I to share the gospel with them. May our marriages be a testimony. Amen. Amen. I want to share a few things with you this morning, and I want to read from Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, verses thirty-one to thirty-three. Ephesians chapter five, verses thirty-one to thirty-three as I speak to us briefly on marriages that thrive. Marriages that thrive. Marriages that thrive. Ephesians five thirty-one to 33. Thank you very much. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He says, Then he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this is Paul talking to the Ephesians and he touches on the subject of marriage. And what he says, as we can see in verse 33, he says, look, there are responsibilities that we should have towards each other. If this thing is going to work, there are responsibilities that we should have that will contribute to the fruitfulness of it. So he says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife. And then let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you notice that he didn't say that, and so I call on God to make your marriage a marriage where the husband will love his wife and the wife will respect the husband. He said, let each one of you in particular see to it that you make it happen. Why? You see, marriages may be made in heaven, but the responsibility of maintaining your marriage is yours. It is not God's. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. It is not God's responsibility. It's my responsibility as a husband, it's my wife's responsibility as a wife. So, marriages may be made in heaven. But the maintenance is ours. And it's important to understand that because it is the reason why sometimes marriages that are ordained by God still break down. And people wonder, oh, was it not God? Oh, it was God that brought them together. But the maintenance is our responsibility. The maintenance is our responsibility. Nobody can love your wife for you. I always tell my, my members, one job that I know for sure is not included in the job description of a pastor is to love your wife for you. I have my own and my life ambition and mission is to love my wife because it is my scriptural responsibility. And so I keep praying for grace and wisdom and strength to go a, do a good job of it. Amen. Amen. And I know that most of you are doing the same. So, Paul says, look, there are responsibilities that we have to undertake. Now, when we talk about marriages that are thriving, I want to start by dealing with some common myths about marriages. And one or two of the things that I will say may sound slightly controversial. But, trust me, it's for our good. Because there are certain things that happen in the church environment that sometimes we take for granted. So, I may say a couple of things that may sound a bit controversial, but just stay with me, I believe it will help us to understand. In fact, there are two very common myths about thriving marriages. The first myth is this. The first myth simply says that longevity, longevity is always a sign of success in marriage. Longevity is always a sign of success in marriage. How long one has married for is always a a sign of success in marriage. If somebody stands up right here, right now and says, I've been married for 20 years, people will clap in appreciation, wouldn't you? Or 30 years, people will clap. I have a funny feeling there are people here who have even gone past 30 years in marriage. People will celebrate. It's a very common myth that longevity is always a sign of success in marriage. It may be so in some cases, but not in all cases. Not in all cases. There are marriages that have survived over a long period but sometimes they survive because they are more focused on building a public perception rather than have a marriage that is genuinely fulfilling. In other words, they have stayed in it because they are concerned about what people will say when they get to know the real thing. And that kind of marriage can last for 40 years, and we will all unknowingly be celebrating it. But it's not a testimony. Longevity is not always a sign. Not always. Because you can have other reasons why marriages will last. For example, you can have a situation where one or both of the spouses are faking it they are faking it i'm sure you've heard the expression um, what was the expression again um outside gentility home cry i don't know where that expression came from it it seems to be very suspicious in grammar but it's it captures the truth and unfortunately that is too common for my liking are we trying to impress you can have a marriage that is lasting long because one or both spouses are faking it or you have one that has lasted long because one has stayed in just for the sake of the children very popular very popular or you can also have a marriage that has been going on for long but they've been practicing what I call emotional divorce. And when I talk about emotional divorce, this is what I mean. This is where you get to a point where the people in the marriage willingly or unwillingly, they have decided to grow apart. So, they grow apart but they are still living in the same home. They can even be in the same room on the same bed but for the fear of the stigma attached to divorce, they don't divorce. But the two of them live completely separate lives. One person can go to a funeral. They will come back four weeks later. The other person at home is not even bothered. But they will come home and they will say, ah, we are still married. Praise God, we've been married for 40 years. And everybody say, yay. Especially if you are a 21st century charismatic you might even say ah i covet your grace i told you you should relax some of you are looking too serious i covet your grace do you really cover that grace if that grace lands on your head you are in trouble be careful what you celebrate be careful what you celebrate because sometimes that's what we say what do you know i've been married for 30 years before we get excited about the duration, let's check the quality. Let's check the quality because that is what determines the atmosphere in which the home is run and in which the children are growing in. Anybody who's pastored for a while and have been involved in counseling will tell you, every now and then, we have to deal with With the effects of those kind of marriages in our counseling rooms when their children grow up and they want to get married you see the traces of the bad marriage in the life of the children and we have to deal with it so please this thing about longevity always being the sign of success i'm sorry it's not always true don't just get excited about the duration check the quality Check the quality. It's very important. Don't just get excited. You see on social media, oh, praise God, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. Oh, wow! Some people's 20th anniversary, quite frankly, is worse than somebody's second anniversary. It's not just the duration. It's the quality. It's the quality. We'll come back to that in a minute. Another thing that we have as a myth, very common is this lack of conflicts lack of conflict in a marriage is a sign of success in a marriage in other words a marriage where they don't have any conflicts is a sign of success in a marriage once again you see a couple may appear not to have any conflicts at all And that can easily be mistaken for a sign of a successful marriage. But sometimes what you get is this. You can have a couple who genuinely, they have fewer conflicts over time. The number of conflicts they have reduces over time because they have developed a way of resolving the conflict. So with time, they don't have as many conflicts. It just reduces. But, what happens is this. There are some marriage where they have no conflict because one or both spouses, they pretend to be alright. They are pretending to be alright, but they are not. And sometimes it's also because a spouse is afraid of the consequence of disagreeing. Because the last time they disagreed, what they got was laying on of hands physical abuse is what they got or emotional abuse abuse comes in various forms it can be physical it can be emotional it can be psychological and they all do just as much damage as each other yes so sometimes we shouldn't even be boasting that oh I've never laid my hands on my spouse but meanwhile you insult them from morning to evening and you are wondering why even their self-esteem has dropped Because they don't have any sense of encouragement. They don't have any sense of valuation. Because of the way they are being treated. I believe that for those of us in this house, we are meant to be a blessing one to another. And when you enter the covenant of marriage, you should actually be a blessing to the one that God has given you and not the other way around. So that when you get into marriage, you should be better and not worse. In every area of your life. Amen. So, there are some who, you don't see conflicts in their marriage because they are afraid. They are afraid to disagree. They are simply afraid to disagree. You know, I do this sometimes. That when I'm counseling couples in premarital counseling before they get married, I sometimes ask them whether they have any, they've seen any differences between themselves. And I find it very interesting how sometimes people sit in front of me. They've been through, they've been courting for about three, four years or two years. They're about to get married and you ask them, have you seen any differences between the two? And they look at me with bright eyes and excitement. They say, oh, never. In fact, we are the same. I smile back, but at the back of my head, I'm praying and having sympathy for them. I'm saying you have not started this journey at all. The past two years you have learnt nothing. Because even amongst your own siblings that you grew up with, you have differences. So, what makes us think that we will not disagree with the person we marry? But this whole misconception has been pushed out there to the extent that even when you have a disagreement with your wife, you think you have sinned. No. Your wife is allowed to disagree with you because she's an individual created by God, a special person made with God, made by God and God has invested giftings and abilities in that person. They have the ability to think by themselves. So sometimes the way you think will be different from the way they think and they have every right to say, I do not agree with the way you think. It is not the end of the world. It doesn't make you less of a man, and the husband shall say, yeah. "I told you to relax." It doesn't make you less of a man. I've come across young men who want to go into marriage, and when their fiance disagrees with them, they are angry. I say, Pastor, I want somebody who's submissive. I want somebody who's submissive. I said this, and this, she disagreed, and I'm thinking, hold on a minute. Do you understand that word? Do you actually know what it means to be submissive do you know what it means when scripture says husband love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself for it. do you understand it that's a message all by his own that's for another day if you understood it you will not be asking what you're asking you should be thankful that somebody has disagreed with you because it means the person actually wants to contribute to what you are doing that's why they have put their opinion on the table But if you always throw a tantrum when somebody disagrees, one day, they will disagree no more. And when they stop disagreeing, you're on your own. The worst thing that can happen in a marriage is a marriage where only one person's opinion works all the time. Then the other person is just quiet, watching you. Even when they have a better idea, they dare not say it. They keep quiet. On the day you crash, That's when you will hear, hmm, I always knew that this thing will not work. Conflicts are important. Sometimes conflicts are actually a sign of a healthy relationship. Yes. Sometimes conflicts are a sign of a healthy relationship. When you are with somebody for a long time and you don't disagree on anything, go back and check whether you are missing something. Go back and check whether you're missing something. I have counseled people. Years ago, remember, a man walks into my office and says his wife has left. He came back home from work and couldn't find the wife. She's gone. Gone. Totally gone. He had absolutely no clue as to why the wife should leave. When I met the wife eventually and started talking, the wife was able to give me six years' worth of issues that have been going on between the two of them. The guy could not even notice any of it happening. And he's sitting in front of me saying, I don't know why she left. I said, get ready. When we start talking about it, it will be a book. But because for some reason, she made one, he made one assumption that as long as my wife is not disagreeing, everything in the home is fine. Not knowing that the wife was growing, separately from him till it got to the point where the wife decided I will act on what I've been thinking and feeling and basically packed out and moved before the guy woke up. Prior to that, he said the marriage was going well. Obviously, it wasn't going well. So, conflicts are not bad things in general and please, let me chip in this, please, When you have a major conflict and you are not able to resolve it, don't feel shy. Don't feel embarrassed to ask for help. Some of these cultural things have gotten us into trouble. Sometimes we want to want everybody around us to see us in a certain way. And we think that if we are walking around as if we've never had a conflict, even our pastor will be impressed with us. Why do you want to impress your pastor? Now, look, I don't know about Pastor Telford, but I always tell my people, if your aim is to impress me, I feel for you. I feel for you. Because quite frankly, who am I? Who am I for you to be bothered about impressing me? Impress God. Impress God. But we get too hung up about this whole thing about what society thinks of me, so that even when we have a problem, we don't seek for help reach out for help because it's the best thing that can happen to you some of the characteristics of marriages that thrive let me touch on them because some of the things i'm mentioning are already in here characteristics of marriages that will thrive number one they are covenant minded they are covenant minded they are covenant minded when i say they are covenant minded this is what i mean they understand marriage to be a covenant. They understand marriage to be a covenant. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. This is what it says. I'll read it very quickly. It says, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this being awake and aware. Yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts? Verse 13. It says and the second thing you do. Take note. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet, you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He said, the Lord." has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. When we come before God, in the house of God, and we contract our marriages, and we make our vows, and we say, I so and so, so do take you, blah, 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 you know, before all these people and these witnesses, what we forget is that there is another witness of that covenant, and that witness is God. And over here, he says, look, I have been witness between you and the wife of your youth. So if you treat your covenant partner treacherously, he says, I have an issue with you. He says, I have an issue with you. To the extent that when you read it, it says in verse 13, it actually says, look, this thing you do, you cover the altar of the Lord of hosts. You cover that altar with tears, with weeping and crying. So that he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with good will from your hands. Now, you don't hear that too often, but that's a very serious thing. If the Lord will not receive your offering with good will, God help you. He said, "You cover the altar with tears, and I'm not moved. Why? Because you have broken a covenant. You have maltreated a covenant partner. That is how important the covenant of marriage is. If you understand marriage to be a covenant, you will understand that marriage is not actually about feelings. Love is not a feeling. Covenant love is not a feeling. Covenant love is a decision. The problem with feelings is that they come and go. We all have them. Some days you feel like doing something, some days you don't. I have not asked Pastor Telford yet, but I can be so sure and even speak on his behalf. There are certain Sundays he doesn't want to come to church. And he's your pastor. Why do I say that? Because I've felt that before. There are certain Sundays you wake up in the morning, you are thinking, why should I go to church? In fact, if I had my own way, I would be on the beaches of Barbados. That's the problem with feelings. They are not reliable. But covenant love says, I have vowed before God that you will be my partner for life. So even when you are doing the things that I don't like, I know I'm committed to you. We are in this thing together. So I will not make a decision based on my feelings. If you make decisions based on your feeling, you will always be inconsistent. I have seen many marriages break down simply because people don't see marriage as a covenant anymore. Time will not allow us to talk about that. People look at marriages as a contract rather than a covenant. The problem with a contract is that you can renegotiate the terms anytime you want. You can abrogate the contract if you feel that one person has not fulfilled their terms. And people want to run marriage like that. If you do, you will not survive it. Because as long as night follows day, a time will come, the other person will do something wrong. But when you know it's a covenant, from day one, you look at each other and you say, we have started this journey. We are in this thing together forever. So we better enjoy it. Amen. That has been my personal policy from day one. Since I realized I was a covenant, I decided if it's going to be a covenant, it means we are stuck to each other. Because God is not a covenant breaker. He is not. He's not a covenant breaker. Psalm 89 verse 34 tells us, he says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the things that have gone forth out of my lips. He is not a covenant breaker. If we understand marriage to be a covenant, there are a lot of the issues we will not have. Covenant love helps you to mature. When you know you are in a covenant, you know you are committed. You know you are committed. Quickly, number two. The other thing about marriages that thrive is that they are transparent. They are transparent. You know, when the scripture talks about Adam and Eve, one of the first things he said concerning them, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, he says, Adam, When Adam saw the woman being brought to Adam, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. You hear this at weddings every time. Leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Then in verse 25, he says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That is not just physical nakedness. Really, physical nakedness should be like the ultimate of transparency. Because physical nakedness says, I'm standing here just like I came into the world. But you see, apart from physical nakedness, that also signifies transparency, openness, openness to one another. And this is where sometimes people pick quarrels with me. If we are ready to share our bodies one with another, present ourselves just as we came in the world, one with another, why is it that at this stage, we are still fighting over access to your mobile phone? Why? Why? Why are we keeping secrets? if we are ready to offer ourselves to one another, isn't there some inconsistency there? Transparency is a major thing in marriage and frankly, a lot of marriages have had problems because of lack of transparency. I want to have my privacy. Where? We are in this thing together. But let me say, let me tell you what happens. Interestingly enough, When there's transparency, there's hardly any suspicion. There's trust. And when there's trust, the other person is ready to take your word for it. So you actually are able to do things by yourself and it doesn't become a problem. That's a funny thing. But it starts with transparency. When there's no transparency, there's suspicion. When there's suspicion, the two of you, you turn yourself into national security operatives. Sneaking around and making each other's lives miserable. That is not a way to have a thriving marriage. Let me be honest with you. No matter how much anointing sits on your head. If there is no transparency in your marriage, you will be miserable. You will be miserable. For the marriage to thrive, there has to be transparency. Why is it that when your phone rings you are downstairs? The phone is upstairs. When your phone rings, you have to do a Hussein boat to go and pick up the phone and your wife or your husband is upstairs. What is your stress? You see, this is one thing I learned right from the early years when i got married several years ago that you know what transparency will save you stress when there's transparency in a marriage you can sleep like a baby when there's no transparency people sleep and one eye is open just in case their phone rings what sort of life is that one then we are even even surprised that we are developing illnesses because you're stressed You are hiding things. What are you hiding them for? I'll share a personal thing with you. Years ago, when we got married, we got married, we are living in the UK, so we got married there. And those days, and that will give you an idea, I'm showing my age here. Those days, you are not doing email, let alone SMS and all that. You used to receive a letter from home. They will write to you. And I remember on one occasion, I was at work and my wife calls and says, oh, guess what? I received a letter from home. Your mom has written to us. She has written a letter. We received a letter from Ghana. And I'm in the office and she's at home. I said, oh, really? She said, look, I can't wait till I finish work and get all the way back home. Open the letter and read it to me over the phone. So, she opens the letter and she reads everything. So great. I've heard from them. We are happy now. From that time, we have total transparency. And I tell you, I have never ever bothered to say, hmm, I wonder what is on this phone. No. Where there's transparency, there's less stress. You don't go around suspecting each other. I always advise, especially young couples when they are starting, please, if you don't do anything at all, ensure there's transparency in your home And it will be well with you because lack of transparency is a disaster it's a disaster we stress ourselves too much no transparency you have friends you cannot tell your spouse about and you're worrying we are wondering why you're not sleeping well it is not the devil it is you your choices have put you in that position no let there be transparency Right from the beginning. Let there be transparency. Right from the beginning. Let me quickly move on. Please, when it's time for me to stop, just tell me to stop. Because I know I can get carried away. I need to make sure I'm answering the questions. Maybe I only have like five minutes left or something. I think according to program, I've even gone over the five minutes. Isn't it? I have the program in my mind. Did you eleven uh-huh. Okay, so I, I I'll do this and then we'll do the Q&A because I, I really want answer some questions here. Marriages that thrive do things together. They do things together. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 to 12. I want to look at this and I I'll I will stop so that we'll look at the questions. Ecclesiastes 4 9 to 12. Solomon who presented himself as the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is what he says. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 to 12. And once again, you sometimes hear this in weddings. It says, two, what's happened to my scripture, man? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Okay, I can read it anyway. It says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion and woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Eleven, he says, Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. He says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Not for each person's labor, for their labor, for what they actually do together. Two are better than one because they have a good, in old, old King James says they have a greater recompense. They have good reward for their labor there have to be things that you learn to do together. Because in actual fact, the more you do those things together, the more it builds intimacy, the more it builds closeness, real intimacy. I don't want to upset somebody, but I have to say it. You know, when we talk about intimacy as a subject, sometimes we look at it differently. When you talk to the average young man, and I say young because we change as we grow. When you talk to the average young man about intimacy, the first thing that comes to his mind is what? Sex. Physical intimacy. But it is not always the same when you discuss the same subject with women. Because intimacy is not just physical intimacy. In fact, for the average woman, emotional intimacy prepares them for physical intimacy. And a lot of men can't work that one out. And so the whole day we have not spoken together. The whole day we've done absolutely nothing together. And then suddenly we get home. It's time to sleep. And then there you are. You are trotting. And the wife looks at you and says Hello? Are you okay? Don't even dare what is this one? And you're like, what do you mean? You're my wife. The Bible says. That's when we start quoting scripture. Then all of us will become preachers. The Bible says. Slow down. One thing we need to understand about this please. Two are better than one because they have a greater recompense for their labor. When two are not working together, they are worse than one. Two are better than one. Because they have a greater reward for their labor. But when two are not working together, one is better. That is why, and I I will ask you to answer this publicly. But that's the reason why, have you realized something that happens? There are people who are sometimes in marriage, the church is a funny place, there are people who are sometimes in marriage who are envying single people. Don't say anything publicly. I will not ask you any public questions. Just look straight ahead of you. There are people who are sometimes in marriage and they see single people and they the life. Mm-hmm. They can't say it aloud. Other than that, it will be a disaster. And you know the funny thing that happens? There are also people who are single. And when they see the married person, like, mm-hmm. one day I will get there. But sometimes what happens is this. The person who is in a marriage and is envying the single person has found themselves in a marriage where they are married alright. But they are married and so lonely, it's almost unbelievable. They do nothing together apart from sex. When that goes on, after a while, the sex becomes as exciting as washing dishes in the kitchen. Because it doesn't represent any form of intimacy. And then somebody gets angry. Why is it that we are not enjoying it? Because we are not together. We are physically together, emotionally, we are not together. Please, no matter how busy we get, don't get to the point where you assign responsibilities to each other so much that you end up doing nothing together. It's dangerous. And you see, even put the sex bit aside. The danger is this. If we don't have anything that we do together, this is what will happen as we grow older, we are going to notice a gap developing. And it will offer a bigger problem in the future. What do I mean by that? Please give me five minutes. Let me demonstrate this and I will stop. I have not gotten anywhere but I will stop so that we can answer the question. This is what happens. You see, when the average person gets married, now nah, the problem is I didn't bring my wife. So, I would need somebody to lend me a wife for this illustration. Pastor Telford, can you volunteer somebody on my behalf? I don't want any trouble so that they say, ah, even when pastor said it, the Lord said no. (laughs) Okay, please. So, missus, please come. So, normally what happens is this. Two people meet. You know, they go through courtship and everything and then finally, they get married. Praise God, we are married. Then after a while, we get married. Then, God blesses us with the fruit of the womb, so we have a child. Can I, can I have one child? Now that, that one, anybody can volunteer. I don't want a child that's older than me, please. Anybody? Can, anybody can volunteer. Anybody? Maybe I should said older than me. Trust me, I look older than I, I am older than I look. Anybody? My sister, please, please. No, 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 no. You, yeah, please come. So we have one. So now we have one. My first daughter. Then after a while, God is blessed us with another one. Can I have another? Maybe a son. We won't volunteer. I want me to volunteer you. My brother, please. Please come. Please, you be my second born. Praise God. Okay. Now, let me have a, a final one, a third one my quiver, my quiver will be full third one. My, my sister wear in the, in the t-shirt. Please come. Come. I notice you don't like volunteering in this church at all. Eh? Because you're you not sure what I'm going to do with you. I can tell. You know pastor sometimes we have to all sorts of tricks. So now we have three. Praise God. Now we are busy. The home is very busy. Because we have to raise these three. And we spend a lot of time talking about what we are going to do with them this one is going to school that one has fallen ill so many issues it never stops while well, this one is finishing ss this one is starting jhs this one is about to and we are busy we are busy we are busy making sure we raise them in every way that we need to raise them then a time comes a firstborn now is found by somebody whosoever founded the wife has found a good thing found by somebody and she comes and tells us the story and after that she gets married after marriage what happens she leaves the house so please you can go so praise god wedding is over then we are believing god suddenly our second son also finds somebody and married and then praise god god third one we do everything everything works out finally find somebody and then Goes. So now, praise God, all the children have left. Now, look at us. Is this how we were when we started? No. We now have what counselors refer to as an empty nest. The nest is empty, all the noise, all the activity is gone. So now we turn around, we look at each other. And we are like, that one looks like somebody I married some time ago. Why? Over the period of time, we've been so focused on the children doing all these things without realizing that we are doing very little together. So, emotionally, as time has been going on, we've been drifting apart. Drifting apart. Drifting apart. So, suddenly, they leave. We look at each other even when we sit together we have nothing to talk about oh yes and i've seen it before you see a husband and a wife they sit, they are just sitting there staring into space they have nothing to talk about meanwhile before they got married when they start talking they can't stop what's the difference now we are doing less and less and less together so what is the answer what is the answer please my sister come can i have all my children back again please one final time quickly the problem is not the children the problem is where we put the children because if we maintain that emotional connection we are talking together we are working together we are praying together we are having discussions on things together We are setting up some time to have a bit of fun together. And when I talk about fun, I'm not talking about sex. Once in a while, we're able to go out together. The mall is just next door to you. In case you need suggestions. But you know, and, and I'm saying this because sometimes I must confess, sometimes we Christians are the worst offenders. When it comes to these things. We never take our time to do anything apart from being at home talking about the children and going to conventions. There is nothing wrong with a convention. I'm a pastor. I run conventions. But if we don't have that connection, see with this connection, when the children come, they'll be around us. When the time comes for them to go, they can go to their homes. By the time they get to their homes, this is how we are. We have maintained the connection that we had when we started. Because no matter what, no matter how long you get married, the funny thing is, the way you started together is supposed to be the way you end. Children will come, but they are not there forever. They will leave you, whether you like it or not. But most of the time, what happens is that when they leave and there's an empty nest, you then have situations where, my sister, God bless you. You then have situations where people haven't gotten married for 25 years, 30 years, 35, when the children have left home, they say, I'm leaving your father. Have you heard that before? And the children are like, ah, mommy, be serious. At this your age? What are you leaving him for? Where are you going? What you don't know is this. Emotionally, she left 15 years ago. We have nothing in common two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. But when the two are not connecting, when they are not doing anything together, we have to deliberately do things together. That's why I say to people, I know you're already married. Please don't make a mistake of marrying somebody who cannot be your friend. It's a dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing. And you see, sometimes we have said things and I'm, I'm going to mention it because it may come up questions. Sometimes we have said things and we have people asking questions like, oh, why is it that marriages are not lasting as long as they used to last in the days of our fathers? I'm sure you've heard that before. There may be some truth in that but also maybe because of what I do, I like to analyze things. Have we studied some of the marriages of our fathers? Some of it lasted long but what was the quality? When father is always in the sitting room, and mother is always in the, and the children are where? Yes, the children will join the mother in the kitchen. Father is in the sitting room. When the children leave, the whole thing remains the same. Now he's the sitting room on his own. She's in the kitchen on her own. Any opportunity to visit the children, she's gone. She won't come back for one month because they don't have anything in common. The only thing they do is go to funerals together. If you are perceptive, you will even see when they are coming that mm, these people they are not connecting together. They can't even joke together. They have nothing in common. Please, may we never make that mistake because when we do that, in the long term, we pay a price. We pay a price. You have couple you talk to them the wife has no clue what the husband is planning but they don't know each other the only thing they do is sleep together and have children no that marriage is not whole a marriage that is whole involves people connecting together at the spiritual at the physical level at the emotional level It's not just at the spiritual level. Oh, God has shown me that you are my wife. And then when we start, that's it. Now we have nothing in common. We don't share anything. We don't discuss anything. When we do that, we are setting up ourselves for trouble. Marriages that thrive had many characteristics. Like I said, for the sake of time, I cannot go through them. I just shared these few with you. In fact, I came with about 12 of them. I've only shared three, I think. We'll have to leave it like that as it is for the sake of time. But I believe that in the questions, there'll be opportunity to highlight some of those. So, I want to stop here right now and go straight into the questions. Then we can pray. God bless you. So, are we, okay, are we we now collecting them? Or do we have any we can start with? I've seen a basket going around, do you have any we can start with, okay, we're still collecting them, okay. Let's see. And whilst we are busy collecting them, please, it's important, is this one of, okay. I thought you were going to review them, that's why there were some coming in here. We can start with these ones. Okay. Okay. I can I I can do this one in addition to other ones. Well never do it. It's okay. All right. So let's 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 um I'll start with this while the other ones come in um okay one or two of these questions well
2: i'll put it in your i'll put it in your hands i'm happy
1: you have a look at this and see what you want to do before i answer them i can answer them i don't have any problem with that but i need to be aware of the my surroundings okay so i'll start with this one then we can have the others are the others in the other questions are they in okay question here how do you resolve a broken trust thank you very much how do you resolve a broken trust this is this is very good question how do you resolve broken trust now one thing about trust is this trust is one of the major pillars of a marriage one of the major pillars of a marriage frankly speaking i always tell people who are not yet to get married that if you can't trust a person don't marry them because marriage is based on trust you cannot run your marriage without trust it's very difficult now how do you resolve a broken trust when there has been trust broken there are a number of things that need to be done to start with the persons whose action led to the breach in trust has to be ready to in fact, do a lot of work in terms of transparency in order to restore trust. Number two, trust is not restored quickly. It doesn't work. The thing with trust is this. You can easily take a step that will break trust but when you break it, it takes a long time, a long time to restore it. One of the reasons being that when trust is broken, the devil will do extra work on the person who suffered that betrayal. And this time the devil have evidence. So whenever the person wants to trust you again, the devil says, ah, but he did this or that guy or that lady did this. Your wife did this. It becomes a struggle for that person. So we have to be patient with the process. But the answer to restoring trust is it's actually the same transparency you have to be extra transparent if for example let's say one person had an adulterous affair and after that is all resolved we want to move forward from then on that person has to be the person who volunteers information about what they are doing and not vice versa it shouldn't be the other person demanding from you no If you want to rebuild trust you have to do a lot of work it's possible it can be done it has been done but i always say to people it's better not to break trust at all than to rebuild because it's hard work it's hard work you have to keep being transparent so that it will help the other person having forgiven you to be able to now trust you again because forgiveness and trusting are two different things Someone can forgive you. Just like that. But the scripture tells us we should forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. But trusting is based on your actions. And please, if you are in a position where you have broken trust, don't make this mistake of telling the other person, you towards your problem, trust me. Oh, believe me, I have seen people do that. It's, it's such, it's such, it's such a joke. Because when you do that, you rather set the process backwards. The person can't just wake up and trust you like that. Because they're fighting their own battle in their mind. They're fighting their own battle. Don't give the devil ammunition to fight against your marriage. Don't break that trust. Do not break that trust. Because when you break it, you have to go through extra transparency, extra prayer. Your actions have to prove i give you an example. i give you an example of the infidelity. If somebody who has been in that position and maybe they got involved in an affair somewhere. After that, when you close from work, you have to be at home. You cannot still be running around and say, oh, you have to trust me after all. I'm an adult. I'm an independent, independent woman." There is work to be done and it's only your actions that will help the person to trust. So, transparency is the answer to broken trust. But it takes a lot of diligence, a lot of hard work to make this happen. Question number two, lovely question. Is it possible to marry? And then afterwards, you meet your true and real wife. <laughs> this is getting exciting. See, this this is why I love Q&A, forgive me. This is why I love Q and A. Is it possible to marry and afterwards you meet your true and real wife? Okay, let me let me not get too excited. First and foremost, the person that you married is your wife. Full stop. You have married them. Full stop. After you marry, your search ceases. The person you met that you claim is your true and not just true and real what criteria were you using to start with and you have no business applying any criteria because that vacancy has been occupied why are you advertising let me let me tell you something and once again i don't want you to say answer this publicly because it happens a lot especially with young husbands. Don't answer this publicly. Don't show any sign. Just look straight. If possible, keep a straight face. Thank God for a mask. At least we won't see you. For a lot of husbands, when they marry, they get very excited. You're married, you know, your wife, you're so proud. Ah, this is great. You're enjoying. It. For a lot of husbands, a time will come one day, you will see somebody and no matter what parameters you use, that person is more beautiful than your wife. Question, don't answer. Question, is that possible? I will answer on your behalf. Yes, it is possible look that's why all the sweet nothings we say oh my wife is the best the most beautiful man in the world you keep saying it we know why you are saying it one day you come across somebody who's more beautiful than your wife the world has about seven billion people in it that should not surprise you but you see the question is not the person being more beautiful and that's why sometimes the way we start this whole thing is wrong that's how we get ourselves into trouble job said i have made a covenant with my eyes that i will not look unto a strange woman person may be more beautiful but i refuse to see because thank god for their beauty but i have a covenant with the one i have chosen and because i have a covenant they may be the miss universe for the past 20 years it means nothing because i have a covenant Covenant says, I have decided before God. This is the woman I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. This is the man I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Because it happens to women as well. Oh, you think I don't know. But they dare not say it. Because if they say it, you will take them to the family house. Yes. But it happens. But covenant is the thing. Secondly, some of you may have heard this thing. There's this rather strange concept. Where the people talk about my, your soul mate, there's this concept floating around that everybody has one soul mate in the whole world. So when you find your own soul mate, you will know. To the extent that some people have even gotten married, and later they find somebody else say this is my soul mate, so they divorce and go and marry their soul mate. That's just an excuse to live in sin. Okay. That's all it is. It sounds technical. I have found my soul mate it doesn't really, it's it's not scriptural in any form because it doesn't conform to the covenant that you have. So you may see somebody they may look better than your wife or your husband but they are not yours. Focus on your own. So when you say, is it possible to marry and then meet somebody who, let me get the, the word right, and meet your true and, it is not yours. So don't say your. Meet your true and real wife. No. Your tr- true and real wife is the person you married. Thank you. On the day the covenant is sealed is done. Amen. On the day the covenant is sealed is done. Let's not deceive ourselves. I know Christians will like that. So I know I made a mistake the first time. Work on it. God will help you. There's no time for remedials. How do you maintain a marriage where there are children and the man is always away from home due to transfer from work? Well, transfer from work. That's what you sit down and you talk about. You discuss how you are going to manage the time that you have. Because if work demands that the person goes on transfer, you are living in separate places. So now you have to sit down and look at the practicality. At that time is when you have to go over for weekends with the whole family and come back. But whatever it is and please always remember yes it's important that the person is doing that work but don't put family last on the list because it will cost you in the future so sometimes it may mean one traveling to go and be with the other one for a short while and coming back keep that connection going no matter what because it can happen sometimes even as men you can be on transfer working and working and working and working By the time you finish the working and move back home, the children have left home. And you don't have any relationship with them. And then we get angry. Because we say, I was working for you. But now you don't want to talk to me. It is true you are working for them. But they don't know you. You don't have shared experiences. That's how you build relationships. Shared experiences. Shared experiences. Oh, one day we went to the shopping mall. And then, you know, something happened. And somebody fell down. It's an experience. It's the experience the two of you shared. Yes later, you can share it together. But if you're never around, although you paid the school fees, there is still no emotional connection. Don't get bitter with the children. The truth is that there is no connection. So, for the person who the husband is going on transfer, you and your husband need to sit down and say, okay, now, now that we know that this is something we should prioritize, what do we need to do? Are there times when I need to come back? So that I can spend some time with you. Weekend, we go out, do something together. As your children grow, you now begin to appreciate the things you did together when they were little. Because also, once they pass teenage, they don't even want to hang out with you anymore. That's the truth. Once they pass teenage, they see that you know they think you are in a different generation. When they are very young, they love to have you around. Please, that time, Make sure you spend time with them. I hope you, you get what I'm saying. So it's very important we take steps. You want to deal with that one? Okay, good. So this one says, "Please, is licking and sucking of sexual organs good for couples?" That's their question. Um, do we have medical staff here? Anybody in the medical? Yes? No? Okay, we have one here. Okay. Um, no, before you, you, you you take your seat. I'll come to you. I just wanted to. One of the things, there are basic rules that I want you to remember first. Then, we'll talk about the, the medical aspect of it. Now, when you look at scripture, and you look at the whole concept of scriptural love, you need to have some basic rules in your marriage. Number one, when it comes to sexual relationships. Before you get involved in any sexual act, there should be mutual agreement. Mutual agreement. Don't go forcing things on people because of where you have gotten your education from. When I say education, I mean sex education. A lot of us as Christians and most people, even outside Christianity, don't get their sexual education from the right places. We get it from friends because our parents didn't tell us about it. We got it on the school field or we got it from pornography. So that's one thing we have to understand that there has to be mutual agreement. Number two, we also, even when it comes to sexual relationships, We also have to be careful as to really what is driving our motivation. You see, there are a lot of things that's pushed out in the media, for example, about what sexual relationship should be like. Your marriage is a lot more than just sexual relationship. Your marriage is just more than. So sometimes even you yourself as a Christian need to take a step back and think what is sexual relationship really for apart from procreation sexual relationship is for mutual satisfaction don't go demanding things because this is what will feed my ego do you know that there can actually be things that are driven from unhealthy or as you say from lust in a marriage yes and it can destroy marriage if we forget that look everything that we do in a marriage, we should make sure there's mutual satisfaction, there's mutual agreement. Before you then come to the health considerations. Because sometimes we say all these things and we expose ourselves to various complications and then later on we are wondering. But in terms of the health, I would like my sister, would you want to comment? Please. I want to give you the microphone to comment on that one first, before I say anything. Is that? Okay. Thank you very much.
2: Hello, good morning. Uh when we come to that, then we say sometimes we try to discourage that because we have something we call the normal flora. What's every part of the body has some flora that works and protects it. We have something that protects the skin. It protects the skin, but it doesn't protect down there. And we have something that protects down there. It doesn't protect the mouth. So it can cause some diseases. Number two, the lady might be having infection. You lick it, and what happens? Future in problems. Then we have the human papilloma virus. That's one too. When you lick, when you suck from the man, you can get it it can lead to so many infections. You can Google and continue. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. I'm glad it came from you because I was going to mention the HPV. You can always Google and find out that human papillomavirus and the fact that some people have ended up even because of consistent act of oral sex over a long period there's now a link between that based on HPV to cancer of the throat. Yes. But that's, I mean, that has been for people who have been consistently doing that. That's what it's led to. So let's be careful when it comes to sexual I Don't just jump into things. Just because you have read it somewhere. But whilst we are on that also, let me mention, that also does not mean, please, that sexual activity, always has to be missionary position. There's nothing in scripture that says that. In actual fact. There's nothing in scripture that says that. Neither is there anything in scripture that says that sexual, the sexual activity only has to happen in your bedroom. Those of you who don't have children, be imaginative. I'll say no more. Oh dear, okay. Please, how do you handle a husband who never appreciates or sees everything to be Oh, okay, who never appreciates but sees everything to be normal? How do you handle it? You need to take your husband for some good counseling, Pastor Telford, so that you can tell the person, appreciate. Um, Time will not allow me to look at that, but you see, when you look at Ephesians five, from twenty two all the way down to twenty three, to thirty three, Paul talks to the Ephesians about marriage, as we're saying. But one of the things that Paul says is that that the husband should love his wife as his own self, that you would cherish and nourish. Cherishing something, how do you cherish something? You cherish something when you appreciate it. You cherish something when you appreciate it. You cherish your children. So, when they do something that is good, you are the first person to say, oh, well done. Because you cherish them. We are to cherish one another. So, if you are to cherish one another, then it is your responsibility to appreciate. Please, my brother, appreciate your wife before someone else starts appreciating her. Because when someone else starts appreciating her, you are going to be angry it is your responsibility to cherish and to nourish when you cherish you appreciate when you nourish you feed so when you are cherishing you are nourishing you appreciate you feed you protect you provide that's what you do as a husband appreciation is important and i must say it even works both ways one of the biggest challenges we have in marriages especially marriages that are gone beyond 10 years is we take each other for granted some people even stop saying thank you to each other you say I'm sure but that's what you're supposed to do why should I say thank you why are you skimping on your thank you you have you become a miser you are stimp- why what have you got to gain and then when you go to the office and your secretary does the slightest thing oh thank you you are wondering why your wife doesn't like your secretary because the appreciation you are supposed to give your wife you have given it to... Appreciation is something that we should do both ways. Let's not take each other for granted. What do you do when your husband is not willing to work and take care of the home? He prefers to babysit. Try. What do you do when your husband is not willing to work and take care of the home? He prefers to babysit. Well, that arrangement can only work if you are going out and making enough money for the home. If you are going out and making enough money for the home, there's no problem. But if you are not able to be making enough money from the home, the husband need to sit up and realize that there's more to life than babysitting. We need to have some money we can live on. We have to be realistic. We need to have some money we can live on before we can babysit. The baby that we are babysitting, what are we feeding the baby with? So, once again, the two of you need to have a frank conversation. It's not about what you prefer. It's what our responsibilities are. You know, we now live in a society that is very quickly trying to shed off responsibilities. We are demanding freedom to do everything apart from freedom to take on responsibility. So, children can tell you the parent that it's your responsibility to take care of them. But, when they are growing up, they don't realize that as you grow, your responsibilities also increase. They increase. So, for every man and especially for the man, once again, Ephesians 5, 22, 33, that's a portion you should not forget. When the scripture says you are the head of the hope, it comes with responsibilities. It comes with responsibilities. If you have responsibility, it's not just what you prefer that you do. You do what you are supposed to do. A lot of us when we go to work, we don't do what we always like. But we do what we have to do because we have responsibilities. So if the man says I prefer to babysit, well that's your preference. But in addition to your preference, you have responsibilities. Get up and take care of your responsibilities. Somebody has to bring, as the English will say, somebody has to bring the bacon home. Somebody has to bring the money home leave the babysitting and go and get some job because we have to feed the family it's our scriptural responsibility it's our scriptural responsibility please okay i have a couple here can the parent have influence on the choice of partner by their son or daughter okay can the parent have influence on the choice of partner by their son or daughter can the parent have influence can you have influence well yes to some extent you can have influence but you cannot make the decision When you talk about having influence really when you have a relationship with your children you will naturally have influence in that area in fact they will bring they will even talk to you about the person and usually what happens is that you will meet the person informally first before there are any formal discussions and when you have a relationship with them, they will tell you about, oh, this is the person I've seen. You ask a few questions. So, we are able to advise. But please, let's not fall in the trap of wanting to choose for them. Because that can be very, very complicated. You make the choice. If anything goes wrong, whose responsibility is it? It is you who chose. And over here, let me make a, a public statement here. I've always told my people in church, I don't decide on who should marry who. Personally, as a pastor, I don't do matchmaking. I don't believe in matchmaking. I'm not the one to choose your spouse for you. If you want advice, I'll give you advice. But you make your choice so that if you have challenges, you can go to God and talk to God. You don't come to me and say, Pastor, the wife you gave me. I know my limits. I know my scope. So, influence you can have but you don't make the decision. In the same way that a pastor can have influence on the choice of a married partner. When people are in courtship, sometimes they come to you. They tell you, oh, I'm in courtship with this person. I'm thinking about marrying. You ask them some questions, you advise them. At the end of the day, the final decision rests with them. The final decision rests with them. So, please, is the man who is, is a man who is emotionally unstable, fit or ready for marriage? This question came from a woman. Is a man who is emotionally unstable, fit, fit or ready for marriage? Um honestly, I wish I could ask you a follow on question. What exactly do you mean by emotionally unstable? And let me say this, if for example, you mean that when the person gets angry, they can get violent because that can also be emotionally unstable. My advice usually, especially when it comes to physical violence, if you are in a premarital relationship and you start to have instances of physical violence, my advice is end it. Don't, don't 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 waste time end it end it you only have one life and i will not advise you to play games with it we should see signs of physical violence in a premarital relationship don't don't don't, don't lie to yourself because it can create major issues if you're already in a marriage and there are issues of emotional instability i'm saying once again if we are taking that this is what it means you seriously need to make sure you and your husband go for counsel that person needs some counseling to help them know how to handle conflicts i have come across people who don't know how to handle disagreement i've come across people who quite frankly have some very strange ideas that when i mentioned one earlier on when a woman disagrees with them they are angry Because somebody made them think that somehow a woman hasn't got a right to disagree with them. And you know the funny thing about it? The same person who is doing that, they used to be in school. And if you went through school from JHS, SS to university, I can assure you that there was a woman who was better than you at some stage in your class. So, how come that as soon as you marry, now suddenly the person, doesn't have a, you know it doesn't have any opinion anymore no sometimes what it is is not so much as emotional instability it is emotional immaturity there is most of us know what we talk about iq intellectual quotient people have iq there's also what we call eq emotional quotient which is based on your emotional intelligence A lot of psychologists have been talking about that and is pushing that now. There are people who have ability to do a lot of things. But when it comes to emotional intelligence, it's very low. In other words, when something upsets them, they will disgrace themselves. They will just misbehave. People like that need help. What they need is not marriage. They need help first. Before they go into marriage. Or else they are going to stress somebody's life. So, emotional maturity is something we all need, to be honest with you. All of us, especially if you are in leadership, you need emotional maturity. You need emotional maturity. Certain things happen and you have to know how to respond to them in a matured way. What do you do when your partner does not entertain sexual intimacy in your marriage? What do you do when your partner does not entertain sexual immaturity, I'm sorry, intimacy in your marriage? Once again, this needs to be investigated. Number one, are there any underlying causes? Why is the person not entertaining sexual intimacy? There have been cases where you sit down with someone like that and you find out that there's a history. There's a history of sexual abuse from previous relationships sometimes even child abuse that they need to recover from normally in pre counseling if it's done and the people are open you'll be able to pick it up and deal with it sometimes you don't pick it up when they get married and then you get that so then it can be dealt with so that's sometimes one of the reasons you have underlining causes you are not aware of it has to be dealt with Number two, sometimes there are certain things that your partner is doing that switches them off. There need to be an open conversation. And the biggest challenge we have with this, especially in our society, is that when it comes to conversations around sexual relationship in our marriages, we don't do well at all. We don't talk about it. We only do it when the light is off. Yes. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about it in church. We don't talk about it at home. We don't talk about it. We don't. Because some way, somehow, we have this idea that it is dirty. Where did we get that from? You know, when we are single and we are taught a lot about avoiding fornication, what usually happens is this. We hear that so much that sometimes without realizing it unconsciously, we equate sex to sin. But you see, fornication is sex outside marriage. So sometimes, and this happens a lot to Christians, when Christians sometimes get married, they need to reprogram their mind to understand that actually sex is not equal to sin. Sex within the context of the marriage is a celebration of the marriage covenant. And until you switch that On in your mind, you may have problems with that. I have seen people who have had that issue. Because they've always thought sex was a a bad thing. So, even when they get married, they're like, hmm. And I must confess, sometimes you see that more with the women than the men. And so, they get married and then, when the husband shows up, they're like, ah, what are you looking for? Or even worse still, when they find out that the husband's libido which is their desire for sex is high they they are surprised because they still equate sex to sin so they are thinking ah but that this brother I knew you the way you used to pray in church look at the way you are behaving it's so funny there are sometimes people who even believe when they see they're like ah maybe my husband has been demonized because he seemed too excited about sex that is how we are programmed. That is how we are programmed. So, you have a number of reasons why this can happen. The final reason is that sometimes it's just the differences in libido, as in the level of our sexual desire. And in most marriages, the level is not the same. One is higher than the other. You learn how to compromise. Don't start jumping up and down, throwing tantrums forcing the person it will make the issue worse imagine if the person's problem was as a result of a previous bad experience like maybe a rape and so they are not responding to sex and you force them what have you done you just double the problem in fact now what you have done is that you have taken the role of the person who caused the first rape now you have become the second rapist so emotionally, psychologically, the person then switch, switches off. So when you have a issue like that, please take your time, seek counsel after you've had open conversation, understanding that look, there are different things that can cause a problem like that. And whilst you are doing all that, never forget to pray. Never forget to pray. Because you always have to remember that the devil is not excited about a home that is thriving. No. The devil is never excited about that. So he will attack you at any chance that he will get. But I'm convinced that he will not succeed. As long as we are committed to each other and we are committed making sure and understanding that God is the father of our home we will come out victorious. We are in the days where our marriages have to be a testimony. Our marriages should be an evangelistic tool. So that whilst people are busy fighting and divorcing each other, when people look at you and say, wow, yours is fruitful. We see joy. We see genuine joy in your home. May that be your portion in Jesus' name. For those of you who are yet to go into marriage, go preparing in your mind That you are going into a covenant that will honor and please God. So that the person you choose, you know I am going to be with this person truly till death do us part. God bless you.